uh, we've been on a journey this fall where we've been diving into uh, these strategic priorities. And specifically, we've been looking at three. We've been talking about the DNA of the church and that uh, we seek to thrive spiritually. And we talked about how Jesus thrived spiritually, uh, that he uh, was spirit-led and uh, the importance of God's word. He used the word to uh, answer Satan as he sought to tempt him. Um, he submitted to the will of the Father. Uh, and so if we're to thrive spiritually, these are some of the uh, key uh, things that we need to do. We talked about building community and how Jesus prayerfully put together the 12 disciples and how community is so important. Uh, of all the ways that he could expand the mission, he chose to use community to do so. And uh, it's so important for us to be invested in community. And then uh, the last few weeks we've been talking about reaching the lost, the mission of Jesus Christ, that these aren't an, uh, these first two aren't an end, a uh, means to an end in themselves, but really they are to uh, help us to uh, reach the lost. And, and so today we're going to continue that journey. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we're going to read verses 13 through to verse 20. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 16, 13 through to the end of 20. Here now from God's Word as recorded from Matthew, the tax collector, a disciple of Jesus, an eyewitness to these events and the things that we are to talk about today. And now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he'd strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, here this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, you know us by name. You are keenly aware of who we are and how our lives are truly going. Uh, you know our failures and our success, and you know, for you are the sovereign God, you know what lies ahead, you know what this week holds and so we ask for ministry here this morning, that you would speak to us as a fellowship. More than that, you would speak to us as individuals. Father, that you would comfort and encourage us, that you would, that you would correct us where we've gone wrong or astray, and ultimately that you would bring life, hope, and encouragement. Oh God, reveal yourself to us here this morning that, that, Father, we would reflect your glory as we leave this place. May it be so, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, up to this point, much is happening. All kinds of things are at play. Jesus has called his 12 disciples and they are following him. 
They've enjoyed Jesus and his ministry. At times they've been uncomfortable. And they have been commissioned by Jesus to go and to serve. They've served and they've accomplished many things in the name of Jesus. But now it's not enough for Jesus uh, just to be, uh, it's not enough for Jesus that they merely be associated with him. It's not enough that they hang out with him, that they're a part of the community, the 12. No, there's more that is required. There's more that is needed. And so the passage begins by telling us that when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's a few things that we need to understand about the, uh, the Caesarea Philippi, the location. This is about 25 miles north of Galilee, where Jesus did the majority of his work. Uh, it's at the base of Mount Hermon, and uh, the Greeks had uh, gone there, and they had uh, sort of established it as a community, and more than that, they had established it as a place of worship for Greek mythology and Greek gods. You see, there was a, a cliff there, and not just a cliff, but a cave that was uh, springing forth water. That water is the water that would travel down the Jordan River to the Sea of Galilee and and continue on to the Jordan. Now, this uh, cave was a place where the Greeks encouraged the followers to come and worship the god Pan. Pan of the nymphs. Now, what does he look like? If you were to do a search and to look at the Greek gods and look at Pan, he would be a god that would have the appearance of both a man and of a goat. Now, this religion, it may seem harmless uh, from the outside. Uh, It may seem not so uh, uh, vindictive uh, as you look back in history, but it was a terrible religion. See, all kinds of things were, were worshipped uh, in, in the days of Paul. And, and Pan, what would happen is you would bring your offering to uh, the cave and you would throw your offering into the water. And what would happen is if you, if you went downstream a wee bit and you saw the water turn the color red, you were then assured that your sacrifice was accepted. Not only was it about sacrifices, there was all kinds of detestable sexual acts that would happen at this altar. Now it's interesting to me that Jesus, who did predominantly most of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, he goes up to this community, Caesarea Philippi, to, make his, uh, to, to ask some questions of his disciples. Now to further understand a little bit more, Caesarea was Caesar. You see, what had happened was Caesar had uh, taken over this community from the Greeks, Caesar Augustus, and what he had done is he had given it to Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great died in 4 AD, and he had given it to one of his four sons, Philip. Now, Philip wanted to rebuild this great city, and so that's what he did. And he named it Caesarea after Caesar Augustus because he wanted to give uh, a proper due attention to Caesar. But he also threw his name in because he, he liked to be also famous and popular. Jesus takes his disciples up to this place where pagan worship is, 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 is you know, going full steam ahead. 
Beyond that, they are, are worshiping at the cave. They are in, you know, serving uh, the god Pan. And there he brings his disciples. We don't know exactly why, but we know that that's the atmosphere that is uh, kind of rounding out the disciples' journey. It might have been because Jesus was looking for a quiet place. Yes, Jesus was popular and everyone knew who Jesus was and they had heard of his ministry and it seemed like Jesus could go nowhere without crowds gathering around. But here, as you can see, in Caesarea Philippi, there are no crowds. No one's kind of rushing up to hear what Jesus has to say. No one's looking for answers. It's in this location, this is the background, that he gathers the disciples together and he asks them this question. Who do the people say that I am? What's the word? This is a great question for you and for me. What's the word about Jesus? You know, uh, when I would, uh, was a bit younger and in university and seminary, we would go around campus with a video camera and a microphone, and we'd ask this question, who's Jesus? It's interesting to me the answers that people would give. In our day, what's the answer do you think that people would give? Well, some would say, if they are of Muslim background or if they follow Islam, they would say Jesus is a prophet. He's a prophet who will return. That's who Jesus is. Others will say that he's a good teacher, a moral man, a strong leader. Some will say that he is the Savior, the Son of God. But what's interesting to me is often what people say in their life, it, it often contradicts itself. The question as to who Jesus is is probably the most important question that we as a culture, as a society can answer. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he merely a good man? Is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he a moral leader? Who is he? Notice how the disciples answer. Well, some say John the Baptist. You see, Herod, Herod had killed John the Baptist because John the Baptist had stood against him. He had said that it was wrong for him to marry Herodias, and Herodias despised John the Baptist. And so, you know, this great scheme comes together, and off goes Herod's head. I mean, sorry, John the Baptist's head because of the pressure of the crowd. That's why Herod did it. His head comes to him on a platter. And Herod and the people were afraid that John the Baptist would come back. They were afraid that this unrighteous act of killing him would come to haunt them. Surely Jesus is John the Baptist. That's what some are saying. Others said, no, 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 he's Elijah. You see, the prophet Malachi said that the return of Christ would be preceded by the prophet Elijah when he returns. And so they knew that Jesus was something profound. They knew he was a prophet. And they assumed that Jesus was coming to usher in the kingdom. Some said that he was Elijah, a prophet. Now others said Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who called the nation of Israel to repent, to turn to God. In the midst of all the wickedness and evil, he wept and said, no, turn to God. And others, others said, no, he's just a prophet. He's a prophet, they said. Who is Jesus? This is the most profound question that we can answer. Notice that all the answers are positive. 
The disciples, when they answer Jesus, they say, hey man, it's like, I, I think some people are saying John the Baptist. This is a good thing. Some are saying Elijah. Some are saying Jeremiah. These are all good, positive answers. They, they, they edit the negative ones. You see, Jesus was called Beelzebub, Satan. Jesus was called all kinds of names, a blasphemer, an unlawful teacher. See, the, the disciples edit that out and they focus on the good. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah the prophet. Who is Jesus? In our culture, in our day, everyone asks the question who he is. It's the most profound question that we can answer in our day. But Jesus doesn't leave it to the crowds, to the masses. Although that's a good question to ask, he hones in, doesn't he? Look what he does next. He says to them, but who? But who do you say that I am? The most important question that you and I can answer is who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? Friends, this is the most important question because heaven and hell are lying in the balance as to who Jesus Christ is. This is the most important question for you and for me because all of life, the direction and mission and course of our lives all revolve around who is Jesus Christ. See, the tendency for us is to say, well, I don't necessarily know who Jesus Christ is, and so, you know, well, what does Spruce Grove Alliance Church say? That's who I agree with. Or the tendency is to say, well, I, I hang around with all these Christians, and I've, I've seen Jesus at work. I, I kind of know who he is. He's a prophet, I think. The tendency is to hide in the crowd or to hide in, in, in our, our, our life's uh, uh, sort of journey and sort of allow that to be the solution or the answer to the question that Jesus is asking. But friends, that answer will not suffice when we stand before Jesus Christ the Lord and he says, who am I? Who am I? We need to know who he is. That he is the Savior. That he is the Son of the living God. We need to know who Jesus Christ is. Everything, everything is dependent on that answer. He looks at the disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? It's, it's not a community question. It's now an individual question. And Peter replies, he says, you are the Christ. You see, Peter knew who he was. Peter hung out with Jesus. Peter, Peter had been one of his disciples. Peter even left everything to follow him. It seems crazy that Jesus would ask this question. He left his fishing business behind. He left his family behind to follow Jesus. And here, in Matthew chapter 16, after all of these things, Jesus looks at him and says, but who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. You're the Savior of the world, he says. You are the one who come to, to bridge the gap between us and God. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just merely a prophet, a teacher, a good man from antiquity, a leader, someone to give advice? Or is he the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Who is Jesus to you?
Everything lies in the balance. How you answer that question will determine everything for you. I cannot overstate how important this is, that you know who Jesus is. You must know who he is. You must know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, the one who came and was the perfect sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. He is the one who paid in full for all our sin. He's the one who is risen. He is God. He presses in. He leans in. And he asks Peter. And Peter responds with the truth of his heart. You're the Christ. You're the Savior. The Son of the living God. Now listen to how Jesus responds. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Peter. You're blessed because your eternity has been settled. You're blessed, Peter, because you have purpose and mission. You're blessed, Peter, because you know me. You can talk to me. You're blessed, Peter, because you can come into the throne room of God and lay your requests before me. Peter, you are blessed because you know who I am. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I hold all things together. Peter, you are blessed because you know who I am. You know I'm not an imposter. You're blessed, Peter. And then notice what he says next. Not only are you blessed, You are blessed, Simon Bar of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. To know Jesus Christ as Lord, to know him as Savior. Listen, friends, it's not something that we conjure up in ourselves. It's not our intelligence or our, our, our social standing. It's not who we are that helps us understand who Jesus is. It's the work of God the Father. God the Father revealed this to you, Peter, and you have received the truth of who I am. It's a supernatural work. It's a supernatural reality to respond to the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who woos us into the kingdom. You see, they they desire none to perish, but all to come into repentance and to walk with him. Blessed is Simon Bar, uh, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this, but this has been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. Peter responds to the truth and the work of the Spirit of God in his life, and he declares it. And out of his declaration, he is blessed. Jesus, he points in, he narrows in and says, who do you say that I am? And when Peter reveals it, all things for Peter, come into clear, uh, clarity, uh, clearness. He goes on to say this, I tell you, Peter, it's not that this confession is sufficient in and of itself. Jesus has a purpose and a plan with the confession. And so he says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now there's a lot of controversy about this verse in, in uh, the Christian community. Some have suggested, uh, the Catholic Church has suggested that, what, uh, that the core person, the rock, is Peter. And, and I'm not about to say that they're completely wrong. I think that there's an element of truth of, to what they're saying, because P is a, Peter is a core person in the building of the church. It's him who preaches in Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 are added to the numbers. There's a a significant amount of work that Peter does, but there's no succession plan, not mentioned here. And so to exclusively think that Peter is the rock, I think would be a bit misleading. 
Some will say it's the confession that's the rock, the confession that Peter makes, that, that Jesus uh, is the Messiah and that he is the son of the living God. Well, confession is important, and, and we should never downplay confession, but confession in and of itself is not sufficient. No, no, I think that more aptly, more uh, accurately, we should recognize that Jesus, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the rock. It is him who will build the church. It is he who is the rock, and he will build our church. I love that reality. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Jesus Christ is the one who will build the church. He uses us, and we need to submit to his authority and to his direction. He will build the church, and all we need to do is do what he asks us to do. It sounds easy, but it is far more complicated than that. No, upon this profession, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that's a wonderful statement, isn't it? Oh, what does it mean? Somewhere in history, I'm not sure where, but the church has gone from an offensive movement to a defensive movement. There's been a shift. See, in our culture, in our church, we seem to think that culture is, is attacking the church and we have to hold on. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like if we, if we, if we give up more ground, we're in trouble? Oh, we're holding on. There's this picture like, you know, we're standing at the gate and we have our fortress, the body of Christ, the church. And we're holding on for dear life. And, and, and the enemy's attacking. And, you know, it's like looking. And, 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 and Pastor Art and I are standing there holding the doors. Come on, just hold on. If we just hold on, we'll be okay. <laughs> That's not what the text says. Actually, it's the gates of hell that shall not prevail. You see, it's not that the church is in defense mode. Actually, the church is to be in offensive mode. To the gates of hell shall not prevail. It, it, it's the enemy who's on the defense and who's attacking. The church. The church is to move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter of what Jesus is saying is that it won't prevail. It won't endure. Friends, we live in a time where we may get discouraged because we feel like we're losing ground. We may live in a time where we think that, you know, where is God and what is happening we may feel like the gates of hell are, are, are attacking us and, and, and we can't stand in the midst of the pressure. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, no, absolutely not. He will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does it look like to attack? Well, sometimes we get images of these great battles of Lord of the Rings or Narnia. We get these uh, offensive images in our mind and we think this will be heroic and awesome. It'll be one battle and then it's done and then, wow, we'll be able to sort of celebrate. But that doesn't seem to be the way that the Lord Jesus does things, is it? It's rarely a once done act. Isn't that true? No, his ways seem to be far different than our ways. You know, it's telling when you read verse 21 through to 23, you get a sense of what it means to attack. Listen to what Jesus says from, uh, from the encounter of the confession of Peter, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus goes on to say, from that time he began, being Jesus, his, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. You see, up to this point, the ministry of Jesus was predominantly up in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. And now he's saying to his disciples, no, we're going to head to Jerusalem. And then as he head to Jerusalem, listen to what it says. And he told his disciples that he would have to suffer many things from the elders and from the chief priests and the scribes. And he would even be killed. Jesus' pronouncement as he, as, he, uh, as he teaches his disciples about the truth of the reality that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says this, though. He says, listen, we've got to go to Jerusalem. And when we go to Jerusalem, I'm going to endure much suffering. Not only that, I am going to be killed. It's such a contrast. One minute he's saying, one minute he's saying, listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Don't worry, we're going to win. And then the next minute he's saying, now listen to me, I'm going to suffer much at the hands of the elders in Jerusalem. And not only am I going to suffer much, I'm going to die. Friends, the gates of hell shall not prevail as we surrender all that we are for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of Christ. See, Jesus' ways aren't our ways. His ways are very different, profoundly different. And so here, he's saying to his disciples, we're, we're going to win. <laughs> the gates of hell, they're not, they're not, they're not going to be able to endure But listen, I, I got to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be beaten. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer much. I, I'm going to die. For the sake of the kingdom. Huh. What does it look like that the gates of hell shall not prevail? You know, in, in staff meeting... Uh, Last February or something, I can't remember exactly when, we, we were talking to the pastoral staff about how secularism is just, man, it's, it's just taken over so quickly. And we're losing ground whew, so rapidly. And, and we got talking about uh, the kingdom and, and how do we respond. And, and then we started talking about Rome, you know, Rome, this great empire. Disciplined at first, for the first 200, 300 years, extremely disciplined people. But there was a transition where discipline went out the window and there was no restraint. Um, the emperor sought to be worshipped as a god. The people had gotten involved in all kinds of loose living. Despicable, really, when you study it. It's under that pressure, under that reality that the church rose up. It was under that oppression that the church was birthed. Polycarp, the famous uh, disciple of John the Revelator, the one who writes the Gospel of John and Revelations, Polycarp was his disciple. He was under John's teaching his whole uh, early life. 
And then he became the leader of the church of Smyrna. He was an effective leader, really effective, and Rome let him be, but eventually they could no longer turn from his effectiveness. When he was well advanced in age, they said, enough is enough, go get Polycarp, it's time for him to pay the price. Uh, They brought him into an amphitheater, this old man, and uh, a crowd had gathered to see how they were going to deal with this Christian leader, this leader of Smyrna. The crowd jeered and yelled and said, you know, kill him. It's enough already. He stood before the Caesar and Caesar said, renounce Christ and worship me. He refused to renounce Christ. On his refusing, they brought him before the crowd, and there they had a pile of of, uh, wood gathered for burning Polycarp. They grabbed this old man, and they were about to nail him into um, into the wood to hold him there. He looked at the Roman guards and said, The one who will save me from the fires of hell will sustain me to stand in these fires. The Romans didn't nail him. The crowd cheered. And they lit him on fire in the name of Christ. Friends, in our staff meeting, we were talking about how it took 400 years for the gates of hell to be broken down in Rome. 400 years. The gates of hell shall not prevail, friends, but there's a high price in following Christ. Read history. Read Josephus or Fox Book of Martyrs and you will quickly see that Christians paid a high price. And friends, they won. Constantine acknowledged that the empire had become Christian and he declared it a Christian empire. We, in many European nations have endured, or uh, enjoyed, I'm sorry, the fruit of those 400 years of labor. We've enjoyed the covering of Christians who've gone before us, who prevailed against the gates of hell, who, who paid the highest price possible that we could enjoy all that we've enjoyed. Friends, the gates of hell shall not prevail. They won't. Don't lose hope. Lean in. Refuse to back down. Refuse to, 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 to yield to the pressures of our culture this day. Stand in gentleness and in kindness for the truth of Jesus Christ. Allow Him and who He is to permeate all that we are. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail. Friends, that's how we tack. We attack by surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We yield to Him in every way. We climb on the altar, the living altar, and become a living sacrifice. We prevail 
as we keep our eyes fixed and gaze upon Christ, who is the Messiah, who is the Savior, who is the Son of the living God, who holds all things together. Let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to call on the worship team. Let me ask you some questions here this morning. Jesus brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi to ask an important question. Away from the buzz, away from the crowds, away from the busyness of life, here you stand this morning. Away from the busyness of life, away from the pressure of everyday living, here you stand. And Jesus Christ, he asks you this question this morning. The question is, who am I? Who is Jesus to you? Friends, your answer can't be, well, I go to Spruce Grove Lions Church. Whatever they say, I agree with. That can't be your answer. Your answer can't be, well, I I hang out at Spruce Grove Lions Church. Is that not enough? It's not enough. Who do you say that he is? Friends, if your answer, he's a prophet, a good teacher, uh, someone of antiquity, that's, that's who Jesus is. A good leader, someone who we should pay attention to. If that's your answer, friends, friends, it's not enough. Friends, heaven and hell are in the balance. Your destiny, your life is in the balance. Who is Jesus Christ? Listen, if he asked Peter, one of his closest friends, this burning question. Friends, he asks you today, who am I? Friends, Jesus died on the cross for you and for your sin. He did. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's paid for all your sin. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Have you acknowledged him before man and before others? Have you called on his name and asked, you, asked him to save you? Who is Jesus Christ? Friends, he's, he's the savior of the world. He's the son of the living God. Who is Jesus to you? It doesn't matter what Pastor Scott says. What matters is what you say. It's of paramount importance. Friends, maybe you've settled that. And you're coasting. You see, upon Peter's profession, he says, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The only way, the only way that you'll lean in is an intimate relationship with him. Maybe he's grown cold and weary. Leave this place determining, determining to know him better. Set aside, set aside some time tomorrow morning where you sit with him and your Bible and open it up and seek him as your intimacy will increase so too will your passion to do what he calls you to do friends maybe you've settled who Jesus Christ is but you're cold cold in faith you're lukewarm he calls you to an intimate relationship with him lean in would you please Discover who he is. He's more beautiful than you could ever imagine. He's more profound than you could ever. He's the truth. Who is Jesus? We're friends. 
Maybe you've been holding on, passive, holding up the gate. You've lost hope. You're discouraged. You're concerned. You don't see Jesus winning. Friends, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Lean in. Give up everything. Follow him. You will not regret it. Let's not be on the defense. Let's willingly chase after him and surrender all to him. And so, Father, you know our hearts. You know where we stand here this day. Father, this morning you've revealed that you are the son that Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah. You have revealed to hearts this morning that truth. And it requires action. And so give courage and strength, we pray, to call on your name and to be saved. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being too busy. Forgive us for not setting time aside to have intimate relationship with you. Forgive us. May we truly repent, Lord, and lean in. And may tomorrow be a new day, a refreshing day. And Lord, teach us. Teach us how to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. In Christ's name.